Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., Jesse Cofield, hanging out in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review it, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out here live Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern on the DraftKingsNetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Roku, all that good stuff. Panay Sewell, Pro Bowl and All-Pro Offensive Tackle for the Detroit Lions, stopping by joining us from the Pro Bowl as he gets ready for all that. We talk a little bit about their season, the pass play that wasn't in their game this last weekend that Jared <laughs> Goff made a mistake on, at least in my mind. Um, so we'll get to plenty of that, which we're looking forward to. Got a bunch of interesting NBA uh, to talk about as some mm. uh, moves around the trade deadline are starting to get more and more attention. We also had an injury that should worry everybody. But, Dad, we've got breaking news this morning here uh, from ESPN's Adam Schefter. Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow today, which means we are getting an early spring this year. And while you are an Elmo denier, I found out this morning that our friend Jesse is a Punxsutawney Phil denier. So we've got a lot to learn about everyone. Okay, I'm oh, not... Oh, Jesse, are you really? I was driving into work this morning, and on the radio, they're talking about his track record, which is that Punxsutawney Phil has been correct in his prediction about 36% of the time. So you would be better off flipping a coin to get this answer than believing the rodent that obviously doesn't know whether there's going to be winter or not. I'm, I mean, is it crazy to be a denier? That's a, it's a rat. It's a rat thing. Well, well, I, I guess I would say that it all depends on how you look at it. If that rat was a baseball player, he'd be a Hall of Famer. You know what? Right? That is exactly 36%. what your son yeah. said. That yeah. is exactly yeah. See, well, what your son it's exactly, said. It's exactly what I said. Literally exactly it's what listen, he said. Jesse, said. We're, we're trying to justify stupidity here, okay? We're trying to ju- because it's ridiculous. You're right. I mean, come on. I, I mean, listen, I've already gotten, you know, publicly lashed by everybody for my Elmo statement, but to think that this Groundhog is determines the winner, I mean, come on. I mean, it was a great movie. I loved Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. I loved it, but yeah. I, and, and really, Mike, this only affects Jesse because you're in L.A., I'm in Arizona. Jesse, you're in Boston, so I mean, from and, and my son Jake and his wife Jenny and their son Jackson are there, and it sounds like it hasn't been too rough of a winter anyway right now, though, right? No, it hasn't been bad. We've had, like, this month we've had a couple snows, but it's it's not been a ton of snow. It's been nice. It's been pretty. There's just something comforting to me about this large rodent being asked to predict. In a, in a day and age <laughs> where I'm seeing commercials for the Apple goggles, watching NBA League Pass with all these different yeah. things, and I'm, we're slowly approaching the point where technology is going to scare me the same way it scares my father. And I take some weird solace in the small rodent that tries to predict the future for me there. So, Punks and Tawny Phil, it might not do it. By the way, winter out here. We got this atmospheric river coming through right now. It's really put a damper on my beach. Oh walk so thoughts and prayers aren't required but they are appreciated in the meantime we've got actual news that we could talk about on the nfl front here dad it finally happened we are done with the nfl's offseason head coaching hiring cycle here the final nail in the coffin comes to the washington commanders as they hire now former dallas uh defensive coordinator dan quinn to be their next head coach adam schefter reported yesterday so Uh, He replaces Ron Rivera, who now all of a sudden is popping up as a candidate for the Dallas defensive coordinator job, which is a hilarious switcheroo. But, uh, Dan, what's your initial thought here? Dan Quinn obviously had a head coaching tenure with the Atlanta Falcons that involved the Super Bowl appearance, an MVP for Matt Ryan, and then has come over an architect, one of the most successful defenses in the NFL since he's been in Dallas. Well, I mean, it it was him, the other 
you know, you sit there and say retreads, guys who were head coaches out there were Bill Belichick, obviously, and Mike Vrabel. Then you still had more coordinators from Anthony Weaver in Baltimore to Aaron Glenn in uh, Detroit, Kafka, Evero. I mean, so you wondered if another one of those guys was going to get a job, and they decided to go uh, with, with Dan Quinn, who has, like you said, some experience doing this from 15 to 20. is with Atlanta, part of that Super Bowl where they were winning 28-3 to over New England and then lost that game. Uh, so I, I, I saw this. I thought it might be Seattle, but I thought he was going to get a job this round because the defense still was one of the better defenses they had in the NFL for Dallas. They just certainly you know, were bad on both sides of the ball in the playoff game that, that I did against Green Bay. Uh, so, I mean, th- you're not going to go by one game and say, well, this guy ruined his chances because of one game. So I, I think it's going to be a good hire. To me, Mike, I mean, you have eight spots Five went to defensive players. That's probably the most surprising thing to me in this cycle. Sure. Yeah, it's, I think, an interesting trend to keep an eye on right now. And we've seen the ball go through the basket on a couple of head coaches with backgrounds that are basically not offensive coordinator, which had been the trend for so long now coming off the McVay boom and the resulting coaching tree branching out to the NFL. It's encouraging to see coaches from a bunch of different backgrounds and disciplines getting this opportunity here. But dad, you mentioned the two names, Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick jobless through this cycle here. How surprised were you that Washington didn't take a swing at one of those two guys? Uh, I'm a little surprised more in all honesty, more about Vrabel. Vrabel has had success coaching. Uh, he's, he's certainly liked by players. Now, we wonder how much headbutting went on uh, with management at Tennessee, and does that come into play when you're thinking about bringing him into another organization, especially Washington, where everything is brand new, right? From ownership to management is all brand new there. Bill Belichick, I think we're starting to see, you know, while he's, you know, and I know some players are kind of chiming in on, oh, really, the GOAT, nobody wants him? Listen, you can be the greatest of all time and then, you know, be past your prime a little bit uh, where Bill Belichick has not been successful the last couple of years. And I'm, I'm less surprised about, especially, Mike, once we got a few days, quite honestly, past the season, that if Bill wasn't hired then, that Bill wasn't going to get hired. And that's exactly what we saw. His only interviews were two in Atlanta, and they interviewed, like I said, they swiped right, you know, all offseason long and ended up, you know, interviewing 14 different candidates. So if he wasn't going to be signed right away, and that means he obviously wasn't wanted by the other teams out there, that it wasn't going to happen this year. And you wonder if it's going to happen. You know, what's the setup where it's going to happen for him because we see these new cycle of coaches. You know, they're young. Outside of Harbaugh and Dan Quinn is up there a little bit. You know, all the others, Raheem Morris has, has been around for a little while, but these other guys are all young. I mean, this is this is kind of the trend of where we're going right now. So, and I and again, Bill needs 15 more wins to break Don Shula's all-time record. The question now is it not when he gets the opportunity or where it is, but if he gets the opportunity. Yeah, it's a fascinating question for all the reasons that you laid out there. Timeline-wise, does it match up with what an organization is looking for? And for the Washington Commanders specifically, that answer was probably not, right? You look at what they're getting ready to embark on as an organization where, first and foremost, Dad, you mentioned the fact that Dan Quinn's a defensive coach. It is rare that we see a defensive-minded head coach fired and replaced by someone on the same side of the ball. Usually, people just ricochet off that and say, all right, well, we need to try and fix the offense. Let's go get an offensive guy here but Washington has now kind of fully cycled out everything from the Dan Snyder era around there right they did so much turnover in the front office after all the impropriety there obviously Dan Snyder himself sold the team and you've got Josh Harris and the new ownership group in there but now it's going to be new quarterback coming up this year you've got the second overall pick in the draft and most people expect at that spot you're probably going to swing on quarterback based on how things did or didn't go with Sam Howell by the end of the season and how up and down this offense was the amount of sacks that got taken there and the opportunity to have one of the two best prospects in this draft based on your draft position with this opportunity and so with that in mind having Bill Belichick come in at this point in his career knowing those goals and knowing what you're getting ready to do try and get a rookie quarterback off the ground the recent history of that does not really bode well for Bill Belichick 
No, it doesn't. And go through all the teams, right? Tennessee's got a young quarterback in Will Levis, right? So you're talking about – and we just saw Bill with young quarterbacks in New England it not go well. You know, the Chargers was the one team we said was ready-made, and you knew that was going to be Harbaugh over Belichick. It just, it just was going to be. Vegas probably looking for a new quarterback, or they have a young one. New England should be looking for a new quarterback. Atlanta, same way. Do they keep one of them as kind of a bridge? Carolina already has a young quarterback. Seattle, I mean, they were 9-8. and eight. They have Geno Smith. They have to make a decision on him and such, but uh, they decided to go to the young defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald, by the way, said he is going to call defensive plays out there. And then you just mentioned Washington. They're going to have a new quarterback. So none of it outside of a ready-made-to-win team, which is where Bill, I'm sure, would have wanted to go, was the Chargers. And that wasn't going to happen as long as Jim Harbaugh uh, wanted that job or was in the running for that job. So it just seems like the the options are going to get smaller and yeah. smaller and the timeline shorter and shorter for Bill. It does. It seems like it's going to take a real ideal set of circumstances for everyone involved to decide it's worth it to bring over someone with that gravity. Um, in the meantime, putting a bow on Washington, Dad, this hire to me seems perfectly defensible. Dan Quinn's an adult in the room. He's someone who has displayed an ability yeah. to get a team to the big game, get a team to the promised land, obviously was aided by Kyle Shanahan as his coordinator, but we're going to see a guy who at least goes in and knows how to do this, has coached one side of the ball at a high level, and seems by all accounts, again, talking about how players refer to him, Micah Parsons and a couple other guys from that Dallas defense talking about what a great communicator he was, the way that he treated the guys on his defense, and all of those things are skills that are a little bit more transferable to the head coaching seat from the defensive coordinator chair. So I think it's a hire that Washington can be excited about because for them, it's more about what you in the front office decide to do with the second overall pick. I do believe they have right, the most cap right. space going into this offseason. So you've got all the resources in the world. You started to purge some of that old roster towards the trade deadline last year, especially defensively. And now you got to go about building it up. Did see, by the way, interesting rumor, Dad, about their offensive coordinator job that one of the names yeah. being considered, I think it was Jeremy Fowler at ESPN, reported UCLA head coach Chip Kelly drawing some interest there. And I think for the Raiders job as well, which would be fascinating, Dad. We went through this yesterday with um, Jeff Halfley from Boston College leaving for the Green right. Bay job. Chip Kelly, who obviously had his time in the NFL as well with the Philadelphia Eagles and the 49ers, but is a very different guy than he was then in terms of the offense. I think when people hear Chip Kelly in the offense in the NFL, NFL, they think a lot more of that spread, no huddle, fast pace stuff here. When in actuality, you and I talked to him before this last season, and at UCLA in recent years, they've kind of morphed into more of a ground and pound monster, multiple tight ends, heavy on the run game, especially when they had DTR and Zach Charbonnet in that backfield. So it would be interesting to see him mesh back with the NFL at this point in his juncture, because I think he's a lot more versatile and resourceful than maybe people remember or give him credit for. Yeah, I mean, if anybody remembers when he was in the NFL as a head coach of the Eagles, they were running like 90, 95 plays a game. I mean, it was, it was speed football, like you would play speed golf. And I remember they – I think it might have been Washington they played. I'm not positive in their first game, and I believe they smoked them. And everybody was like, oh, my God. You know, is this, is this what's going on in the NFL? Hell no, he's, you know, you know, renovating the NFL to this is the way we play now. And eventually – it didn't work, you know, and he, he spent a short time in the NFL running that. But you're right. It's changed now. And we have also talked about college changing. And is he kind of, you know, we were talking about this yesterday, thought he might get fired during the season. He has a nice end of the season. So you wonder if he's on borrowed time there. You go to a team where you have a new head coach, sure. you figure you got a couple of years. He's back in the NFL again. So I think, I think that would be a good move for him if, in fact, that's where we go. Either way, Dan Quinn's he's got a, a, a tough outing for him. The last winning coach in their first year coaching Washington was George Allen in 1971, and he was 9-4-1. The last 10 head coaches for Washington, their first year, they either had a 500 record or a losing record. So that's what Dan Quinn's dealing with. And as you mentioned, new management team, what direction do they go? They have assets out there uh, with, with that second pick, which I'm sure will be a quarterback. And then you start building again and see where you go. But I like that, I, I like that pickup. 
uh, for them. Uh, so, again, the other guys are just kind of hanging out now. And, and I did want to mention really quickly that, that uh, Brian Callahan did do it, Mike. Brian Callahan hired his dad. Brian Callahan, who is a new coach of Tennessee, hired his dad, Bill Callahan, who was the O-line coach in Cleveland, to be the O-line coach in Tennessee. So father will be lording over son, something I'm sure you're very, very – oh, I'm sorry. Son will be lording over father, something I'm sure you're very happy I was going to say, let's get this right. Let's get yeah. this right. Yeah, the tables have turned, Mr. Powers, and now son Brian <laughs> has a chance to go and get back for all the stuff that I'm sure Bill tried to pull on him when he was a kid here. By the way, I'm not telling anyone in Tennessee how to do their jobs. Tennessee Titan social team, I believe you follow me on Twitter. So this is a free one here. After this, the consulting fees start to kick in, and brothers and sisters, I promise I am not cheap. But – you guys have a golden opportunity here. The last name Callahan, absolute gold. So much of what is old is becoming new again. You guys need to figure out some sort of Tommy Boy smooth between these guys. Big Brian Cal, Big Bill Callahan coming over here with his son Brian to run Callahan Auto Parts in Tennessee. Figure it out. You can pick the scenes. I'm not going to give you too much in the way of specifics, but I also wanted to make sure that that was at least out in the universe. So if you don't do it, I can make sure that everyone knows it's not my fault because at least I tried to help you help yourselves. Uh, Dad, looking at the rest of the coaching cycle for this offseason, you mentioned Brian Callahan with the Titans. We get the full rundown right. here. Dan Quinn with the Commanders. Mike McDonald and the Seahawks. Raheem Morris with the Falcons. Dave Canales with the Panthers. Jim Harbaugh with the Chargers. Antonio Pierce with the Raiders. And Gerard Mayo with the Patriots. And you know it's unfortunately grim, Dad, when I look at all these and go, Oh, there's good reason to be excited about all of them. And we know half of this list is going to crash and burn. And a prob couple yeah, probably yeah. so famously that we flirt with firing them in a year. I, I just, you know, I was on uh, with, I forgot, was on, did an interview the other day. And somebody was like, hey, you know, what do you think of the hires? And I'm like, they all sound good. But I've said this again for the decades I've been doing this. We don't know. We have zero idea how Mike McDonald, who used to running defenses, is going to do when he sits in the big chair. Or Brian Callahan or Dave Canales. We have no idea how they're going to do as head coaches. So to sit there and try and grade it, we could say, looks like a good fit. Great, looks like a good fit. But we, but we don't know. So we, it, it's all a wait-and-see thing. But you're right. It's kind of like first-round quarterbacks where 50% hit and 50% don't and how much it can set a team back. And when you don't hit it with a coach and you fire him, remember the league sent out a memo to all the owners saying, guys, be careful of firing your coaches so quick. You know, you're paying multiple coaches out here. You know, I, I think at one point there was like dead money for coaches was like at $88 million or something like that of coaches that were sitting at home but still getting a paycheck. So even the NFL was trying to tell the coaches, whoa, you know, I, that, that should be in bold italics to Tepper over in Carolina about that. But uh, – yeah, so I, I don't know how they'll do. I have no idea. We know Mike McDonald is going to call. He said he's going to call his own plays in Seattle on the defensive side. A couple of quickly of other uh, uh, assistants. Alex Van Pelt is going to be the OC in New England. He was that in Cleveland. Yeah. Zach Orr, I'm happy they did this in Baltimore. We talked about this yesterday. They're going to hire from within. Yeah. Zach, uh, Zach Orr played for the Ravens. And then coached with the Ravens, was last coached with the Ravens. I think he had a stint in Jacksonville under Urban Meyer. But he was the inside linebacker coach for Baltimore. He gets elevated D coordinator. I think that is an excellent move. Cliff Kingsbury now being talked about in Vegas uh, for the OC job. So still those jobs to fill. And, and Jim Harbaugh has a bunch of spots to fill. As he's talking about, I want to get an all-star coaching staff. Well, okay. You know, you, a lot of people are getting hired here. I don't know who he has in mind, but he's got a staff to fill out. Yep, he does. It sounds like Jesse Minter, his defensive coordinator from Michigan, will at least fill that role uh, as expected in the Los Angeles Chargers, which is a win for them. But uh, yeah, we've got the coordinator hires going fast and furious. I saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers actually went ahead and hired or expected to hire Liam Cohen as their offensive coordinator who had been at Kentucky this last year, but had bounced back and forth between Kentucky and Los Angeles with the Rams for the last few years, got the best out of Will Levis during his junior season in college. So it's exciting dad, because there's a lot of youth. A lot of the names that we mentioned are very young. Yes. Getting these opportunities. Zach, or you mentioned was a player as recently as 2016. Like this is not a guy that's yeah. been out of football for a long time, but we're seeing a lot of these young staffs, a lot of the turnover because so many of the head coaching hires are young now 
they're going with the guys they know and have relationships with, a lot of whom are in their mid to late 30s. And so uh, add them to the list of people that I now watch that are in my age range who are all of a sudden getting handed the keys to these multi-billion dollar assets <laughs> that they now get to manage. <laughs> Fellas, good luck. I'm going to keep talking stupid into this microphone. <laughs> Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust and it's great in convenience too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to Seed.com slash Gojo and use code 25GOJO to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25GOJO. Welcome back to Gojo and Golik. Guys, as a reminder, all next week from Las Vegas, you can find the show at a new time on DraftKings Network. The fellas will be coming to you live from Radio Row from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time you guys have huge names lined up as guests. There's going to be taking in all the Super Bowl festivities. It's going to be awesome. You can watch the best of our radio shows, though, each day in our usual 8 to 10 a.m. time slot. Again, that's going to be a best of show. And, of course, you can find us on YouTube, across social media, wherever you download your pods. So do not forget, important, commit this to memory. Gojo and Golik, live from Las Vegas, starts next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. As we've been over a few times, I won't be there because I'm super pregnant. All right, let's talk about Joel Embiid, everybody. Okay, unfortunately. Is there a worse place to be pregnant than Las Vegas, by the way? Absolutely not. Everybody was like, oh, man, are you bummed that you're going to be missing the Super Bowl this year? And I was like, mm. no, I mean, yes, but also not in my current state. Like, you can still oh, smoke inside in Las Vegas. Like, I don't want to, I can't yeah. be around that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Terrible. You'd go, she'd go crazy on some people. Oh, I would lose my mind, and then I would <laughs> not get nearly enough sleep. Honestly, bullet dodged. Um, but let's talk about somebody who did not <laughs> dodge the bullet, Joel Embiid. Okay, unfortunately, we found out that he suffered a lateral meniscus injury in his left knee when he had that issue with Jonathan Kaminga where he fell on his leg in Tuesday night's game. So he's going to be out through the rest of the weekend while treatment options are explored. So there's still a lot of uncertainty, apparently, over how the Sixers are going to move forward with this treatment plan for the injury, what they're going to do. They're going to discuss it over the next several days. And, guys, uh, the Sixers were fined 75 k for failing to properly report this. I was going to say, talk about I adding mean, insult to injury there, dropping yeah. that I get for an NBA team that's a drop in the bucket fine-wise. But just the idea of that letter showing up on the same day that you get the MRI results back – for your star player who did, we hope treatment-wise everything, they can work this out. You can explain a lot more of you know what goes into something like this. But for a guy his size who was already dealing with a knee injury on his other knee during this season that he was sitting out yeah. games for, to now have this here, forgetting the 65-game rule and the MVP yeah, stuff and all the it. things right. that we have been yeah. talking about relative to that, 
This 76ers team, every year in the postseason, has run into an issue where in some variation, Joel Embiid's ability to be on the court available and effective has been compromised by his body. And every year, it's been about trying to find the right star to put around him to take some of that load off in certain spots, and they haven't been able to get it right. And this year, in the wake of James Harden leaving, they never really replaced it. Tobias Harris and Tyrese Maxey have been really great players. The rest of that roster stepped up around. But if Joel Embiid is compromised, your title hopes go kaput it's not even a conversation no no it's not a conversation if if he's out and Tyrese Maxey has filled in great made the all-star team uh this year they won last night he scored 51 they beat Utah I think 127 124 but they dropped a few spots they're sitting in the five slot right now they've been in the three slot uh and the the bad news with this, Mike, when you talk about injury, is we don't know what happened to the meniscus, and they did an MRI. And when you hear, he probably when I first saw, probably you know going to miss the weekend, but it wasn't that. It was we're going to take the weekend to decide a treatment plan. Let me tell you, you, you it's going to be a while. Going to be a little while. It depends yeah. on what your definition of a little while is. And you're right. Forget the 65-game thing. The most important thing for the 76ers is having him in the postseason. So let, let's throw the dumb 65 thing out the window like you said. We, we don't need to talk about that. This is the only thing left for Embiid is to say, I can lead a team to the championship. And the only way to do that is to be as close to 100% as you can. So this is one of those that, that, that they're just going to have to let sit. And while he's getting, the good thing is while he's getting treatment on that, the rest of the other knee, the ankle he tweaked, the rest of the, the nicks can heal a bit as well. But this is just going to be, let him sit until he's healthy. Where you are is where you are. But as you mentioned in your right, and this isn't rocket science, they're going nowhere without him. So you might as well get him in the best shape as possible from an injury standpoint, however long that's going to take you. Yeah, and unfortunately, that could be a long time. And while we say put the 65-game thing aside, Dad, we talked about, and this is going to be what a lot of people look at as the source of this, right? He was in a position where he didn't move. like Because for people that say, well, it was his other knee, the whole point is not even what Tom Haverstrow brought up the other day with us when he said, hey, if you're not out there, there's a 0% chance of injury. In my mind, right. Dad, it's and you know this, There's a cadence and a flow to every sport and the way it works when it's being played at the highest level. Mike Tomlin, when I was in training camp with the Steelers, always used to joke when the backup guys would go in, he'd say, don't trip the athletes, meaning you're a lesser player, so you're going out there and you're not performing in the same way in the same cadence that everyone's used to. That same thing is true when you're a guy that's out there injured. And so for Joel Embiid, who we saw laboring during that game against the Pacers where he ultimately – or against the – Golden State Warriors, where he ultimately collided with Jonathan Kaminga, if you're not yourself moving the way you're normally doing, you are at an increased risk of injury. And if you're doing that because of some arbitrary threshold the NBA's put in to try and incentivize guys to play more games, that's where the problem comes in as it does relate to that. So I want to make sure we're not poo-pooing that idea that this is a force. And God, sports is full of forces that are trying to drive guys back to the quarter field earlier from injury. Yeah. Most of those usually come from the team who wants their you know very valuable asset maximized on the field as often as possible but it now gets us to a point where uh unfortunately jesse as uh we uh talk about cash it or trash it around here all the time there's probably one betting ticket we're going to be trashing here yeah cash it or trash it time fellas presented by DraftKings fantasy sports so check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code gojo because life's more fun when you're in on the action DraftKings, the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER agent up eligibility restrictions apply void where prohibited see DraftKings.com for details so like you mentioned for this edition of cash it or trash it we're taking a look at Joel Embiid's MVP odds. As you can guess, with the injury news, the odds have plummeted. They went from plus 110 on the f- January 24th to plus 6,000 now on the DK Sportsbook. Sheesh. So he would have to play 31 more games to qualify, as we've been talking about this you know, 65-game thing. The 76ers only have 35 games remaining after that win last night versus the Jazz, who would have to basically only be out for a few more, play the rest of the season. So, fellas, I mean, if you're holding an MVP ticket for Embiid, you've got to be trashing it at this point, right? 
I mean, that's basically like holding an MVP ticket for me right now, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, it's over. Yeah. And uh, we've got to let that one go. And it sucks, Dad, because like we mentioned, this has unfortunately been the biggest worry of Joel Embiid's career, where we've seen before. Last year, he finally got over the hump, but in prior seasons, it had been, hey, the guy played MVP caliber basketball, and he's putting up Wilt Chamberlain numbers again this year, but not playing enough games even before there was this threshold in order to qualify for it. So this is a massive bummer, Dad. There's no two ways about it for for this team and for this player because dad you have to imagine now for philadelphia this is just another bug in the back of your mind wondering and reminding you that the clock is ticking every off season when you're trying to retool yeah. around joel Embiid. and and, and listen it, there there's the way Giannis went about it in milwaukee who had been an mvp but but healthy and saying you know what bring me help and they did this has been Embiid being injured, right? I mean, they have tried to build around him some, but he's been nicked up, you know, and that's, that's not on the team. You know, the whole Harden situation was, was crazy and now incredible what they're doing out in Los Angeles with the Clippers. But this has been, I, I think, a little more about uh, when, you know, Joel Embiid gets nicked up and what it costs you when, it, when your star – is hurt like this. So this this is definitely a trash hit. There, there's no doubt it's going to be. He's just going to miss too many games uh, at this point on. So who becomes the favorite now? I mean, you know, where are we? You know, is it Jokic? Is it Luka, who is second in scoring, third in, in threes made, third in assists? But they're, I think they're sitting in the, in the like the eighth slot. Shea uh, Gilgis-Alexander's third in scoring, you know, uh, with his team in the second slot. You know, who's it going to be? You know, who, who, is, who is that next favorite? So right now on DraftKings Sportsbook, the current favorite is Nikola Jokic. He sits there at minus 140. Shea Gilders-Alexander's plus 275 at second. And then it's Luka, Giannis, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brunson, and Joel Embiid all the way down at plus 6,000. So a very quickly changing landscape when it comes to the award season in the NBA. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18-PLUS, 21-PLUS in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. Welcome back to Gojo and Golak. Panay Sewell was a unanimous All-American at Oregon in 2019, the seventh overall pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. He was first-team All-Pro in 2023. He is a two-time Pro Bowler, and obviously he had an unreal season and playoff run with the Detroit Lions, America's team. He joined the fellas to talk about it all. All right, pumped to be joined by pro bowler and all pro uh, offensive tackle Panay Sewell from the Detroit Lions. Joining us now, he's in Orlando at the Pro Bowl, uh, participating in an offensive lineman, defensive lineman event hosted by Accelerator Active Energy. So first and foremost, what are you guys doing with that down there at the Pro Bowl, Panay? Uh, it was kind of a, a last-minute thing for me, but I knew destroying from the last Pro Bowl, meeting up with him, and then kind of staying in touch with his YouTube videos, seeing all the uh, – now him doing O-line and D-line one-on-ones. And uh, when he hit me up about the opportunity, I can't I can't miss it. So uh, I had to come out tonight. Before we look at the season for a, a little bit, the Pro Bowl now, I'm sure you watched the Pro Bowl a ton when you were growing up and then, you know, in college and stuff. And the way the Pro Bowl is now from what it was, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's for me. Uh, so, yeah, I'm gonna just 
enjoy what I got. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, and being at this point, you're 23 years old, you know, you, you're so early on in your career. What does it mean to you to already be this respected by your peers, by the people that cover football at such a young age? No, that means a lot, to be honest. And uh, I wish I can, like, thank each and every one of them face to face and uh, every every chance I get, especially with the players, too. Uh, all the OGs in this game, they show love. And I, I just really appreciate about it. And uh, I'm really blessed and uh, fortunate to be in my shoes right now. You know, I, I know my son, who was a former O-lineman, wanted to ask this question. Me being a former D-lineman, I'm going to ask it anyway. Did did you get on on golf at all in the game for not hitting you when you were wide open on, on your when you're on your route? I mean, seriously, dude, you were wide open. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't think I was that wide open until I checked the tape. But uh, man, whatever golf sees out there, I'm a rock with. So, Listen, uh, you've you've got one career catch, and it's an all timer. I just want to know how many pass plays do you say Ben Johnson has in the offense for you? Like, do you have to bother him about trying to get the ball, or is he putting these in for you because he knows he's got such an athlete? Man, I, that's all Ben Johnson, the mastermind. Uh, I don't know how he kind of comes up with them. They're honestly crazy, but uh, I, I have a lot of fun with them. You know, and, and Ben Johnson coming back, Aaron Glenn coming back on the defensive side, so everything's staying put. And I, I, I heard you after, you know, talking after the loss to San Francisco, and so tough when a microphone gets in your face right away, but you've had a time to take a breath now. Have have you been able to, you know, I, I guess digest it of what went on and able to yet to look back and say it was still a successful season, or is it still, it doesn't mean anything if we didn't go further? Uh, let me just kind of like tell you, tell everybody a little bit by myself. And uh, the way I way I go about things is either you do it or you don't. And in my mind, we didn't finish the mission. We didn't get to the goal, and so that's it's just plain as black and white to me. So uh, yeah. Well, Deb mentioned you guys got a lot of guys coming back to help try and complete the mission. What was your reaction, especially on offense, when you saw the news Ben Johnson was coming back? Had you been preparing for the idea that he might be going to be someone else's head coach? Uh, to be honest, not really. Uh, throughout the whole season and uh, even even after the season, we talked, and I kind of see his whole vibe and uh, energy. I just kind of knew that he was going to stay, to be honest. And it's a, it's a family around here. And we know the family will get together in the off season at some point when the OTAs start for you and everybody's different, how they deal with it. You're at the pro bowl, you know, enjoying all of that. What will you do to kind of chill out before you start getting ready for next year? Uh, to be honest, to be the best father, uh, I got to get back to my wife. got to get back to my son um, throughout the whole season. It's a longer than uh, I've had so far. So uh, they kind of been in the back burner a little bit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just all about them. What is Panay Sewell, the father's best specialty? Diaper changer? You swaddler? Are you good at bedtime? Like, what's your best dad skill? Uh, Just playing with him. <laughs> uh, all that other stuff, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still running. But, uh, yeah, we, we kind of get rough now that now he's getting older. Oh, you got to love that. That's going to work. Uh, what, one, one for me on the, the field – catching the pass is there any way to talk to ben johnson how would you like to take a handoff and run the ball on the goal line is that ever been a thought i mean in the dreams yeah when <laughs> i was a little kid uh always be dreaming about things but whatever he draws up uh I'll go out there and execute for sure. Uh, you've talked about that with your coaching staff. You guys seem to have so much confidence in them. Dan Campbell uh, leading the charge on all of this. So much got made of the fourth down decision-making and stuff. What's your guys' thought process with Dan Campbell and his hyper-aggressive decision-making in games? We got to convert. That's on us. Um, when a coach uh, puts that much trust in you, you can't – you know I mean, you got to answer the phone call. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want it any other way. And are you guys excited when you see that called? Like, what's the reaction in the huddle when that play comes in? No, it's just another down, to be honest. Because I feel like if you do react a certain way or kind of differently, you kind of let the moment get to you. So uh, it was just another uh, another play, another down, and we just came up short. Is the goal next year is is everything in for? I know you say you know you obviously to get to the Super Bowl, but. Is the goal always to surpass what you did the year before, no matter what? Um, I believe so, because uh, if you're doing that, 
you're improving and you're getting better. And that's that's really the really the thing around Detroit. It's just every day trying to find something to get better at and uh, improve on. What are you in particular? Your guy, we mentioned the accolades there. You were captain this year, so certainly leadership-wise, you're important to this team. But what's something that you personally want to get better at and improve on from this season going into next year? Uh, there's a lot of things, to be honest. And uh, I like to keep it in, in-house with that one. So, uh, yeah, I'll just – I'll just show you guys on the field what, what I fix. There we go. Hey, you know what? We love to see it as, as if there's really that much to fix at this point. Yeah, it, it's exactly. incredible. With your guys' whole offensive line, though, Pinay, you guys got such an incredible group there. I, I want to go and ask you for a couple of superlatives on your offensive line from these other guys that you go to work with each and every day. In your offensive line room, who's the funniest guy in that group? Graham Glasgow. Interesting. All right. Who is the best and worst dresser on the Lions' offensive line? I don't know if I'm going to say uh, Frank. Best or worst? Best or worst? Frank. Uh, uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that sounds like he thinks he's the best, but really the worst. <laughs> All right, who's who's the nastiest guy? Like the truest O lineman, like big messy eater, guy that doesn't really care what he looks like here. Who's the big nasty in the group? Uh I don't think we got one, to be honest. All right, clean group here. All right, toughest guy in the O line. Frank. Yeah. That guy that, that would seem about right. I was going to say, what take us behind the scenes there. We all saw what the injury report said for him each and every week, but what was it like watching Frank behind the scenes battle like that? Uh, to be honest, just two words, inspirational and motivational. Uh, you can follow a guy like that anywhere. Well, and uh, I, I was, I'll still do that to this day. It's an incredible group and an incredible team. Panay, congrats on all the success. We know, like you said, didn't get the job done this year, but have a lot of confidence. You guys got another great season in the tank coming up. So thanks so much, man. Enjoy the uh, father time during the offseason, man. You've earned it. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. So we've established a couple of really important things here, dad. Thank you for helping in journalism here. Ben Johnson deserves a lot of credit for being someone that's actively hunting opportunities to get his best athlete, the ball in space. We love that, but Panay was very deferential and kind to his quarterback who he spends time protecting. Jared, don't let it happen again. You had time and you had space. You know the play I'm talking about. We all saw it. You had Panay at tight end for a whole drive, and then you had him chip on the way out, was wide open in the flat, and for some reason you thought dumping the ball off to David Montgomery for a five-yard gain was how you attain glory. It's not it. Go fix it in the lab this offseason and be better for us. Yeah, he's, he is an incredible athlete. You know, all kidding aside, when you see him leading runs to the outside, man, he has got some speed and some size to him, and the man is going to get paid very soon. to Gojo and Golik. Guys, with the big game coming up, you've got to get your hands on VSIN's free downloadable betting guide for the Super Bowl. It features expert handicappers and analysts from VSIN. It includes key Super Bowl betting trends, historical analysis, tips, prop betting strategies. It's got it all. Just go to vsin.com slash DKN to download your free guide today. It will help you feel confident about your picks. Now, a guy who isn't lacking confidence, that would be Brock Purdy. So the fact that you just are doing this, it's my mind, all of us, bro. All of us. It's crazy. Did you think you'd be this good? I think I've asked these before. I know, but did you, like, how much confidence did you have? That was the second pick of the draft, and I lack confidence. Part of the game, but ah, I met your brother. Right after winning the NFC Championship, going out there doing his thing, and he's just like, "Yeah, man, what? It's part of the game. You just gotta do it. Be confident." 
I, I saw the look <laughs> in his eyes of a man who's like, Nick, I really need you to put a shirt on because this comparison is not good for me <laughs> to be standing here next to you being all jacked right in my face. Like that was dad. I was watching Brock's eyes the entire time and he was trying so hard to keep his eyes up here and not noticing all of the like jacked shoulders there. You've seen Nick Bosa on the field before those Bosa brothers. I don't know what they were feeding them in the house. They're growing up, but those are mutants walking among us. Dude, I'm guilty of that. I, I, I just stare at him in pregame warm-up. Uh, it's ridiculous. Definitely ridiculous a human looks like that. Between him and when I do a Green, green Bay game Rock. when A.J. Dillon is playing. Oh, the quads. So many quads. And look yeah. at Brock oh, Purdy's yeah. face. Yeah, He's the, actively the, trying to keep his eye. My eyes are up here energy from Brock Purdy <laughs> and Nick Bosa yeah. here. It is it is funny to hear that from his own teammates, even though, Dad, who are kind of amazed. And I think this reframes it the right way. And I think we've done a better job of this as of late, of reframing it as like, Brock Purdy should not be here. The fact that he is here is really freaking cool. And even his own teammates. And Nick, who's a guy that understands, hey, there's, and I've always said this, because being a back end of the roster guy, being someone who was undrafted, Brock Purdy was the last pick of the draft, there's a different pressure. It's existential. It's, I don't know if I'm going to have a job in this league unless I go out there and ball. And for Nick Bosa, there's a different kind of pressure. He talked about having doubts. When you're the second pick in the draft, you're expected to be franchise savior right away. You're expected to come in and be defensive rookie of the year and all this stuff. So they both understand pressure, and now Brock is the starter, certainly in a different way. But it is interesting to see a guy that came from a completely different side wondering how this dude that was the last pick in the draft believed in himself enough to even get to this moment, which is incredible. Is it believing in yourself well, enough, or is it having nothing to lose? Well, I mean, it's it's getting also quite fair. honestly, Jesse, it's it it's getting the chance because when you're drafted, when you're undrafted, when you're drafted late like that, um, you're just looking for your chance. You start off by not getting the reps because of where you were drafted. You're, if you're drafted as Mr. Irrelevant, you're not handed a starting job. Then there are circumstances. Is it injury? What's the reason that you get a rep? Do you get a rep and you do real well in it you, in your couple of reps that you then get more reps? So that's the biggest thing, certainly to the public, but even to players. Players understand it as well. When you're drafting the first round, especially high up, there's expectation that you go produce right away. He was Mr. Irrelevant. Tom Brady wasn't expected to produce the way he produced. Uh, Joe Montana was a third-round draft pick. Kurt Warner was undrafted. There's no expectation there uh, of, of doing what they're doing and then for, for Brock doing it so young. Uh, so that's why it surprises even players when they step in and get the chance to do something. And for some reason, it just fits. As I said, I, I called some Brock Purdy games at Iowa State, and he always had a good head on his shoulders. And the thing I always liked about him is he was always – calm, cool, and collected, never really got rattled. And the same is here. And it also shows that in this particular case, and even look at Kurt Warner, Kurt Warner ends up quarterback in the greatest show on turf. You have weapons around you. If you don't go with one of those top picks and go to a bad team, you and then you get a shot. I mean, it worked perfectly for Brock Purdy. Not to say circumstances did. They did, but then he... The door got cracked open for him, and he kicked the door down, right? He wasn't supposed to be handed a starting job. He got a chance, and he got a chance on a team that had great talent and then added to it with Christian McCaffrey. So he had the best of both worlds, got the opportunity, and he then made the most of it. And that's all a player picked at that area looks for is give me a chance at least to show what I can do, and if I'm going to live or die on the vine, let it be because of my actions. We talk about circumstance dictating a lot for first-round quarterbacks. That absolutely goes doubly when you are a lesser-talented player picked at the end of the draft whose opportunities are a lot fewer and further between. So that stuff absolutely does matter. But, Jesse, to your point about the confidence, too, having nothing to lose, it's also different. Like, when I went in as an undrafted player, I had started 17 games in college. I was still learning how to be a starter in a lot of ways, still learning how to be a player that actually was productive and helpful on the team. Brock Purdy started 46 straight games to end his college career at Iowa State like the dude's an experienced football player who did come in with the confidence of manning an offense that had some similar parts that doesn't buy you a ton once you get here with everybody though we had a fresh new round of Cam Newton comments yesterday here and I, I have to tell you guys that we're going to play the clip from Cam Newton's podcast talking about Brock Purdy and I'm going to tell you my absolute favorite thing about it 
I've never said that Brock Purdy was trash. What I did say is Brock Purdy is a game manager. That's not hate. That's just what I feel to be facts. But I still reserve the right to say this. To be labeled a game changer, Brock Purdy has to be the best player on the offensive side of the ball. Mm. And that's not the case. And who's the best player? Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Man, look, I ain't recanting. No. And if you really want to just be honest, if you add in a defensive talent and you add in an offensive talent, Brock Parity is the 10th best player on his team. Okay, cool. Did he have a great game? Yes. Is yes. he been playing out of his mind? Yes. Is he a quarterback that's hot? Yes. yes. I just love that every time he says his name, it sounds like he's saying Brock Parody. And now I'm thinking like, oh, Brock is here to level the parody in the NFL. <laughs> Besides that, Dad, I, the one thing that does and is like dripped into this whole situation is there is a tremendous amount of ego among fan bases about how their quarterback is perceived because it's the face of the franchise because it's seen as one position that can impact so many of the other ones. And when you've got an answer there, boy, oh boy, does your life get easier as a franchise. And so I understand why fans want to focus so much on that as a slight. But to me, what Cam Newton highlighted there is true in terms of his talent versus how accomplished the other players are on that roster. That should be something the fan base is equally excited about, that you built an armored yep. death car that Brock Purdy can ride into the apocalypse with all of these great players at all of these positions around him. Like he is right. Brock Purdy is probably not even the fourth, you know, the fifth or sixth best guy at his job on that team, but he's still damn good and enough to help them win games. So just for people who I'm sure heard that comment were like 10th. Are you kidding me? Let's just rattle off. I mean, understand you have Christian McCaffrey, <laughs> you have Debo Samuel, you have Brandon Ayuk, you have George Kittle, you have Trent Williams. We're talking about good at their job. You have Trent Williams, you have Nick Bosa, you have Fred Warner, you have Dre Greenlaw, if you want to throw him in there, Traverius Ward in the secondary as well. You're right, as, as 49er fans, you should be ecstatic at the talent you have there. There is a ton of talent on that team. The one thing I'll disagree is he said you can't be a game changer if you're not the best player on offense. I disagree with that if you're the quarterback because he touches the ball every play. So he has a chance to be a game changer, even though Christian McCaffrey is a better player or George Kittle or whoever you want. Because he's touching the ball every play and throwing the ball, he does have a chance to be a game changer on that offense. So that's the one thing I, I will disagree with Cam on that. Yeah, he, he does. And I, I think down the stretch of the postseason running, Cam referenced it there, we have seen game-changing plays. We've also seen Brock Purdy in the game you called not play well in the first half, but he's mustered it right. up enough in big moments. He's been a value add in certain spots where we've seen in the past there are things that he's done, especially with his legs in this most recent game, that a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's the most apt comparison, who was there recently, who they won a bunch of games with, and who you can still say, yeah, Brock is affording you things that even he could not in that spot. And so there's a lot of value in him being on the field for you.